Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to John Richardson and the Future Noughts, Series 5, Episode 5. Hi to Mark and Ed, and can I just say hi to our producer Emma, who I think does a lot of work in the scene. <laughs> I get the thanks. Who, frankly, showing their own, showing their own bubbles. The people behind the scenes. I just want to say how grateful I am ever for all your work. That is what you call genius. <laughs> so, in the interest of full disclosure, there has been a technical hitch. This is our second attempt at introducing this week's podcast. In the first attempt, where my microphone wasn't working, Mark said very nice things about uh, our producer, Emma, and I reacted badly to that. Um, but <laughs> fortunately, no one will ever hear that, and history will display that I am a good guy who thinks of people and you aren't. So what do you think of that? Well, you are like a dark lord. You do... You- <laughs> This is like I wasn't expecting that, and that's yeah. I mean, this is why you're a comedy genius. Because you, you I know, had just... that happen to me on a panel show once, where I I sort of I muttered a joke almost under my breath, and nobody heard it, and the comic next to me sort of repeated it um, and mm. got a big laugh. And in the edit, they they put them in and not me. Also, wow. there was that game show, wasn't there, where they changed the outcome of the game show that you were on yes. because the didn't. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. I've learned over time. I did another TV quiz show yesterday, uh, and I was worried the same thing would would happen where somebody got an answer wrong and it was picked up uh, afterwards with them getting the right answer and it changed the result of the quiz. But I'm totally over it and I've moved on because it's not about whether I win or not. It's just about having a nice time together, isn't it? Always. Are you telling me that in some way there is a level of contrivance to TV entertainment that I've been previously unaware of. (laughs) (laughs) I I think less so now. I think we live in an era of, uh, at the moment, absolute uh, incapability. I often think about when people say about politicians that there's this great conspiracy theory. I think you're seeing it now with the COVID inquiry. There really isn't. They they are just shit and incompetent and arrogant. The, The combination of arrogance and incompetence, I think, about this more and more people who are shit but think they're brilliant yeah. it's a real problem and with that welcome to the future <laughs> <laughs> um so there's much to catch up on from from the last episode before we go any further ed you have had another uh cross europe rail journey um how did that go i certainly have well yeah so i was off to bucharest to speak in the uh National Opera House at the Romanian Climate Change Summit, uh, which was probably the best stage I've ever been on um, in my room. 
in my humble career. Yeah, it was it was extraordinary. Yeah, it's a sort of thousand seater auditorium with all of that baroque, you know, gold and red velvet seats and, and everything you'd expect to find in an opera house. Uh, nice. And you have to that field was sort of twenty five people in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a bit better than my Norwegian audience, uh, my famously tiny Norwegian audience. No, it was pretty full. Um, you know, you have to do everything in your power to resist just bursting into an aria when you take the stage in an opera house because obviously the acoustics are so tempting. Um, but, you know, it was, it was amazing. And Claire Faye and I had a, a brilliant journey together. Um, we've talked, obviously, about the joys of traincations before, but... Um, I would I would definitely take a lesson on the fact that doing two sleeper trains back to back is quite hardcore because <laughs> mm-hmm. sleeper train sleep is not always uh, massively high quality. So doing two on the bounce was a bit like, whoa, all right, that was intense. Should we talk about Halloween? Yes. What did you guys do for Halloween? Uh, I went trick-or-treating just as a devil. Did you? Um, and my daughter insisted on being a devil's cat. Did anyone recognise you? Everyone goes, uh, like, I'm sure I've just seen John Richardson dressed as the devil. I've got to yeah. say, you don't come across as particularly devilish. No, I, I liked the outfit. I don't mind a bit of... Kids are a great... I mean, I never would engage in that sort of thing. Uh, nor should any. You know, I'm going to say this now. I'm going to go on record and say, if you're an adult trick-or-treating alone, you need to have a word with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Did you encounter no. lone adults trick or treating? No, but this is the entire political system, isn't it? It's kind of like you know, just before election time, it's time to go. Oh, lower taxes! I'll give you a treat or a trick. Actually, we're a massively incompetent <laughs> government. <supposed> to die. <laughs> <laughs> I went for the first time actually with my daughter and a couple of her friends um, and their mum, and it was it was interesting because I'd not been around the village doing it before, and it's, I was astonished at how much effort people make. Like mm, it was it's lovely, it was, isn't it? There was one house where they'd literally got a smoke machine and strobe light and a hu- they'd used their side gate and sort of turned it into the gates of Mordor or whatever. And then a figure sort of loomed out of the fog where the black cloak and the carrying a scythe and you're sort of ushering your small children towards them going, go and say trick or treat. And they're like, I don't want to go in there, daddy. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's very much like a metaphor for Matt Hancock, isn't it? You know, sort of. <laughs> Go on, they're all safe. It's okay. Don't worry. It's not as bad as it looks. Yes, yeah. it fucking is. You you seem very keen to uh, have your two penneth on the COVID inquiry. I'm getting a vibe that you yeah, want Mark's to dropping it in, like, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yes. It keeps I, I, you want to chat about Halloween and train journeys, and Mark says, no, no, no. Let's let's slay this monster while we have the chance. Well, I mean, in, it's just. Uh, I didn't intend to, but as you kept talking about sort of monsters that are, you know, supposedly friendly or whatever, and then, you know, it was like, I couldn't stop thinking about that absolute shower of incompetent buffoons and the ridiculous systemic failings of our governance, civil service and democracy that led to the needless deaths of hundreds of thousands of people to the extent the British Medical Journal called our government's response to the COVID crisis social murder, the toxic masculine a privileged culture that tried to manage a pandemic for an entire nation that they themselves hollowed out the infrastructure of so it couldn't deal with it. The absolute staggering arrogance of that absolute shower of cunts. And this is what's both the, the benefits of a private education. Fuck them. I'm so angry and I'm so angry about their casual cruelty 
that they don't even know they're cruel because they're just so thoughtless and spineless and yet comfortable in all that wealth and privilege that it won't even touch them because they're so small in the soul and the heart and the brain that it makes me sick. And this is supposed to be our fucking government. And I am furious. I haven't been this furious for a long time. I'm going to say my thing often say I'm fucking sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's quite damning, isn't it? What's emerging. I mean, it's like, it's sort of beyond comprehension in some ways. It's what we all suspected, but to have it sort of shared, verbatim and the kind of the the whatsapp messages and the the let the elderly take their natural fate which was it boris johnson's line that was released mm. yesterday it's uh it is quite astonishing to actually see it writ large is it worth um discussing talk then because this is obviously a podcast that is a conversation and conversation obviously has its value but i'm finding very difficult at the moment a covid inquiry that is not going to lead really to any, you can't change things that have been done. And as you rightly said, Mark, those people are, they've already moved on. There's no jobs for them to lose. They've all changed jobs. They're all protected financially and and personally, and in some cases protected literally by security guards that we pay for from the consequences of their actions. It sort of feels, it's necessary, obviously, to have it, put out in public but it doesn't feel it's going to lead to anything and obviously the big talking point at the moment is the Israel-Palestine conflict which is being talked about a lot and is the most heartbreaking. I mean the thought of discussing it just makes my heart sink because what is there to say other than what a fucking Mm. absolutely appalling and depressing absolute dereliction of humanity it is and yet there is a immense pressure to talk and to say something when actually mm. I just want to fucking disappear. Mm. I think it's both though, isn't it? There's an immense pressure to talk and then there's a fear of the the backlash should you put a foot wrong uh, mm. in, in terms of whatever question you're asking. I mean, for me, in a, without it being sort of reductive simplicity, it should be perfectly possible to both call out in the strongest possible terms the abhorrent horror uh, of the initial attacks, whilst at the same time fundamentally questioning the violence of the response. And I I, I came across a quote from, you know, the great Gregory Bateson, um, who, who wrote a piece called The Roots of Peace way back in 1962. And he said, so, so when we get tangles of this kind, we're likely to find that each side manoeuvres in a way which will justify the other side in behaving badly. And he said, I cannot help suspecting that nations do a good deal to justify or force the other nation into behaving badly. And perhaps from a third motive, which is one step more complex than that which I've suggested to you, namely, if I can get them to behave badly, I'll be justified in behaving badly myself. Um, And you can't help thinking that there's that ongoing spiral and cycle of violence that comes from that type of mentality. I mean, at the, at the root of all of these problems is is what we always bang on about, which is the systems are no longer fit for purpose. In that, if you have um, democracies or government systems where basically you have to choose one side or the other rather than have a negotiation amongst your people about you know what we should all do together, then you end up with this kind of tribalism being forced to pick a side. And actually, I was at a conference yesterday. I was speaking at where I was with some of the founders of um, uh, Global Citizen, and they were talking about you know. The great thing about when you have citizens' assemblies and the stuff that we've talked about with John Alexander on this podcast previously is that they are pretty unhackable 
in a way, mm. in terms of being pressured from either left or right, or because you just get a bunch of people in the room who all come from different backgrounds, or all may disagree, whatever. You give them some actual facts and the space to discuss it, and it turns out they come up with much more sensible, much more radical things. And that's clearly a much more sensible system of doing government, and we would have been a much more sensible system of doing government in Israel of doing government in Palestine, much more sensible system of doing government in Wales, you know, but the existing system doesn't want to uh, to try try that more sensible system. And we have this fear, it's like, oh, well, democracy is so fragile. And if we, you know, if we fiddle with the machine, will we lose it? It's like, well, no, if we don't fiddle with the machine, we're going to lose it. So we've got yeah. this kind of, you know, we're looking at it going, like, oh, we have to save democracy. It's like, well, you're not going to save democracy by not evolving it. But people go, oh, we can't touch it because it's this precious, wonderful thing we've got. And yet you look at, you know, supposed democracies around the world and they're becoming less democratic and less able to democratise the things that they should be democratising, health, wealth, education, opportunity, peace. So underneath all of this, and this is why we sometimes feel helpless, is the fact that the systems themselves lead us into these tangles. And until we are willing to grasp at the fact that we need to change our systems of governance to use the wonderful technologies we have to involve all people in a discussion about their future. And it doesn't mean you have to have every single person, but, you know, citizens' assemblies where you get representative people and you televise it, you do a proper media coverage of, like, mm. these are all the debates, this is how, how they're coming to, all that kind of, you know. It's not fucking rocket science. Just what it is is terrifying to the status quo because they believe the status quo is a state of the art, whereas they are fucking 200 years out of date. Fucking cunts, I'm fucking sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it as a repeated refrain. I tell you what, as a sort of interim step between changing the system of government that we have to one of citizens' assemblies, you, I can't see any women anywhere. I, I cannot see in any of the supposed positions of power in which these people are getting together to talk through what the solutions are, it's it's the most obvious failing of... I mean, we're so far away from any sense of... I'm not necessarily just saying that if women were in charge, it would be totally different. But how can you not look at rooms of men arguing about how we carve up land and who owns what and not say... This is fucking, this isn't 200 years out of date. This is 2,000 years out of date. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 40%. Up to 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Well, back to the COVID inquiry, one of the things they're saying is part of, part of it was this toxic, macho, arrogant culture where, you know, women were talked over, you know, and if you go and look at back at the, the meetings... You know, it's uh, it, 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 I was like it's hours and hours of meetings. Women's responses recorded for something like fifteen minutes. 
because there's all just the blokes talking and, and you know it's just it's just fucking terrific said three white middle-aged guys on a podcast uh talking yeah. about sexism well i know but i think john you make a good point john because i think also it's because it doesn't mean those conversations aren't going on i think if you go back to northern ireland whilst you might have the sort of you know, the great statespersonship of, um, you know, the Good Friday Agreement happening at that higher level, what was happening at the community level was mothers and women, you know, trying to rebuild those connections and bridges at, at the community level and to make that stuff acceptable and possible. Uh, and that's often a, you know, a great unsung element of the resolution that occurs is that actually there are there are women on the ground and there are mothers who are actually trying to to build the foundations of what might be possible next. Yes. Well, let's hope that comes to some fruition. It, it feels a long way from that at the moment. Can I ask how you cope with obviously there is a need to engage with the debate, but it feels the graphic nature and I'm talking more about social media here than perhaps uh, television mm. news and printed news where there will be some sort of warning. But I find that when I switch on my social media, I see an image which I will not forget for the rest of my life. And I feel guilty about saying I don't want to see that because I, I feel guilty about saying, well, that's not fair. You can't, I didn't do that and I can't do anything about that. And now I'm going to see that image for the rest of my life. And they're, they're, I mean, they are, they're the sort of images that you need to have therapy. I mean, God knows how you heal the regions in which they're happening. But you have the people that care now in this country being subjected to stuff that I, I don't think it helps me engage in any conversation about it to see the sort of brutality that we're seeing now. But is it justified? Well, no, I mean, it, but it's a, it's a really difficult, I think you get to the, the nub of the question there, John. It, you know, it's does exposure to the horror show um, help you in your response or your actions subsequently? And you could argue that there is a, a, a need to engage with the brutal truth. If you're a journalist, perhaps, and then you get to reflect that back to people. But... Um, I personally am in the same camp as you. I I don't feel like I need to see those things to understand the horrors. Mm. Sometimes just reading that reading the descriptions is traumatic enough, let alone being haunted forevermore by the imagery. Well, we talk mm. all the time on this show. I think about what 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 is it that helps you, and 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 it's telling. And I've said this before of most of the emails we get. The, the recurring theme really is that whilst this is a podcast about how we build a better future, it's really a podcast about how do you cope when you are engaged and passionate about building a better future in a world that feels like you are part of a minority in that what should be an obvious group or subset. And I, I feel at the moment like th what it, it, it's stopping people engaging because people will just switch off. And I, I don't gain any. And where does that end? There are children dying in hospitals up and down this country now of illnesses that they don't deserve. I don't need to see pictures of that every day to want to help in that scenario. So I, I, it does feel like an escalation and almost it feels almost gleeful sometimes. Some of the posts are almost 
celebrating look at this look at what you are doing look at what you are enabling these states mm. and I, I find it really really difficult to process mm. well again it's because we're stuck stuck it within a uh, a system that makes it very hard for you to do anything meaningful about it. And so, mm. you know, what, what is essentially needed is a reassessment of the way we govern ourselves and the way we relate to stuff. So, you know, I stood on a stage yesterday and something I often say, you know, which is the problem is uh, with with a, economists not studying ecology. You know, that'd be like your physician not studying physio- physiology. And yet we think that's normal. You know, we, we look at a, a cabinet, say, in this country of... of, of incredibly privileged people, largely mostly educated in a particular way, with a whole bunch of groupthink. And I say that having worked with the Cabinet Office during uh, COVID uh, on a few of the things we were doing in the military space and just coming across people who all thought the same. It's not that they were stupid, but they all thought a particular way. And they'd all gone to one of four schools. So, you know, it. what we need is a system of governance that is actually, as Abraham Lincoln said, of the people, by the people, for the people. And what we have is a system of governments which is not of the people, not for the people, and by a very small number of very privileged people. And so we need a reformation in governance. And I think, you know, there are there are ways we could go about doing that. And there are people we talked about on this podcast that are doing it. And yesterday I was with Jamie Kelsey Fry, he's one of the people saying at the global assemblies, there are there is stuff out there to go and do. So you can sit there and kind of go, well, I'm really, really upset about this thing I feel trapped in from a partisan point of view. Or if you really wanted to, get down People, Planet, Pint, as we say, our official uh, drinking partners, uh, and, and find other people. But also, you know, get involved in the, in the, the, the democratisation of democracy movement. You know, get involved with the stuff that John Alexander is doing. Get involved with the stuff that Global Assembly and Global Citizen are doing. And, you know, start to move that forward. And that in itself will feed an awful lot of hope inside you because you realise that even with all of our differences, when we get together in a room and start to discuss stuff, everything gets better, whether you're left, whether you're right, whether you're central, whether you are gender critical or trans activist or whatever. When you get in a room and actually discuss what's going on, you find that most of the uh, heat of the argument will will leech out and you find an understanding. You don't necessarily have to find an agreement always, but you find an understanding. And that's the way we should govern the world. It's not difficult. They're having a good old go at it in Taiwan. There's a few other places that are doing it. So, you know, maybe there's a political movement. We just say, look, this is the party to end all parties in that we want to create a system of governance which is by the people, for the people, of the people, rather than these behemoth zombie political parties and and governance structures and, and government departments that justify their existence because they exist and they have yet to question when they need to. And maybe we do. And maybe after People Planet Fight, Planet, we form a political party. You become Prime Minister, John. Uh, but your job is to bring <laughs> other people together so that they can solve their problems um, collectively. Was there, was there a Freudian slip there? Did you just say People Planet Fight? No, I didn't. <laughs> no. Did I? <laughs> I think you did. Yeah, I, did. No, I think Planet Fight. well it's like it was great having discussed you know the wonderful uh constructive uh, elements of citizens assemblies you know so come and join us at people planet fight well you can put you put it all together people planet pint fight you know it depends on the around doesn't it i think there are meetings of people pint fight on a (laughs) weekly basis up and down the country That's another Ooh. thing I see a lot of on Instagram. Every now, I, I, don't get me wrong. I like a, I like a walk into a glass door. 
I don't mind a slip into a swimming pool, something like that. Then I'll get, here's someone getting leathered in town. And I think, no, that's not the same thing. The algorithm hasn't quite worked out the difference between a a pratfall, which we laugh at because we think, well, on a different day, that will be me. And we all sometimes fall. And as long as nobody hurts themselves, it's part of the great slapstick of life. And then, oh, no, that's an assault you've just showed me there. I didn't like that. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Do you want to read any of the emails um, that have come in? On, on this topic I find it very very hard I don't want to you know d- deprive people who've emailed in of their chance to air their view but I think oh, it's everywhere in it and the comment I would make is like you know this does feel like the gathering storms this does feel you know like the storms both literal and metaphorical um, mm. you know Mark and I had dinner with John Elkington, you know, the godfather of sustainability the other week uh, in Bristol. And he'd sort of alluded to it from his like longer-term perspective on the world about his concerns about these sort of rising cycles of violence. And um, yeah, and it doesn't help when you look out the window, you know, and the skies are thunderous, the rain is coming down, the wind is howling, um, you know, and we're being subjected to... The, the second or third severe storm uh, of the season. So I, I I get why it all feels quite oppressive. Although, you know, I was looking into the naming of the storms and it, Agnes, Babette and Kieran does sound like the start of a Scandi noir drama. I don't know where we're going in terms of the rest of the the naming of the storms for the season, but um, it strikes me as going a bit weird. Look, I mean, let's be very clear here. And this is, you know, Ed and I have known this for a long time in our professional work. And indeed, one of the reasons we started the podcast is that, you know, the next 30 years are what we call the long emergency, where all of those intertwined and fragile systems gradually fall apart because they're no longer fit for the, the world we now live in, whether that's thermodynamically or in terms of demographics and population or, you know, or in terms of, you know, sustaining biodiversity. So, you know, when that starts to, crack and fall apart you can try and run around and and paper over the cracks as it were or you can understand that the foundations are broken so the foundations of society are broken so we are moving into a cycle of more violence more disruption more confusion this happens every so often now that is depressing in and of itself for sure and lots of people get hurt it also though is one of those rare moments in history that come around every so often where real change is possible because things crack apart. It's like, okay, we can't do this anymore, or that's now so broken we have to replace it with something else. Now, I'm not saying that's not a traumatic thing, but the point is not to take the destruction and the despair and go, well, it's all over, let's give up. It's go like, okay, let's jujitsu the fucker out of this because now, because everything's so falling apart, there is an opportunity for us to have this discussion and whatever. And that's why you need, again, to find those groups of people who are thinking like that in a collective way, how do we solve this together? And you might think, well, most people aren't like that. Yeah, you're right. Most people probably aren't like that. And you can spend the rest of your life hanging out with them, or you can be with the people that Margaret Mead used to talk about. You know, never be, you know, mm. uh, never underestimate how a group of, you know, committed, a small number of committed to citizens can change the world. Indeed, they're, they're the only thing they ever have. So be one of those small number. Get out there, but also go to People, Planet, Pint, Fight. Well, do you know, I've gone on to People, Planet, Pint because we've, we've plugged them all the time. We've always talked about... Um turning up and i hadn't realized and i don't know if uh, if any of the listeners have perhaps thought about it but not looked on the website 
when you get to the event, so just today on the day we're recording, I realise this will be in the past by the time the podcast goes out, but it's a Thursday. There's events tonight in Sevenoaks, Cambridge, Wokingham, Chipping Norton, Haywards Heath, York and Richmond and Bath. That's all just today. I just need to go to one, don't I? I just mm. need to put my, I was going to say, put my money where my mouth is, put put beer where my mouth is. <laughs> <laughs> John, do you think you're going to do that? That's a, that, that's a bit of a stretch for you. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? If it's for the bloody planet, mate, I'll I'll have a pint. All right. I'm, well, I'm proud of you. Well done. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. What's the middle point betwixt us three? Um, oh, it's probably like Lincoln. Oh God, I thought I thought you were sort or of Peterborough. It's definitely not Michael Bolton. I think Lincoln was closer <laughs> than Lincoln Park. Is probably yeah. closer than uh, Michael Bolton. Oh, it's um, probably it's probably East Coast mainline though, isn't it? It's probably Peterborough. Uh, in terms of like yeah. the real glamour, because that's probably about an hour and a half from London. It's about an hour and a half from me, and it's probably about an hour and a half from you, John. Is it Northampton? <laughs> right. Well, we'll have to meet there. We have, you know, we have talked to people like, about doing some live stuff with them at some point as well, or possibly going around, you know. So, so watch this space. Um, should, should, I tell yes. you what, to, to lighten the mood, shall we move on to some positive things that, that the podcast has done for people? Should we do that? Has it? Well, yeah, we've had some... <laughs> lo- All right. <laughs> we had some lovely emails. We've had some lovely, lovely emails from a few people about our neurodiversity ADHD episode saying yes. how, how helpful they found it, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's some really nice stuff in there. Do you want to start with Sustainable Stally, who you know as Festive Road Sally? Oh, yeah. Why is yeah, she, she called Festive Road, Road Sally? Because she works for a company called Festive Road. Oh, right, okay. She doesn't live on Festive Road. Well, she might do. Maybe that's how she got the job. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Uh, hello, says, you lovely people. 
Go on. Oh no, you do. Yeah, you do, John. No, no, no. You, you, I'm not. I'm not speaking the words of festive road Sally. All right. <laughs> sound like sad Sally if I read it. Sarcastic Sally. Yeah, exactly. You're too, you're too busy putting planetary saving pints in your mouth and putting her words. Yeah. In it. Do you know mm. what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and bloody save the planet this afternoon. I think it's driven me yeah. to it. Well, you know, I'm gonna be person planet well, pint yeah. on my own. If you drink, <laughs> if, if you drink, if you drink small beers, um, uh, 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 session pale, which is now having more carbon removed than it emits, then you will indeed be contributing to saving the planet by drinking. Uh, right. Sustainable Sally writes, hello, you lovely people. It's a nice start, isn't it? It's, it's a good Does start, that include, it? Uh, that includes Emma as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it must include Emma. Just always. to be clear, yeah, absolutely. Just to be clear, it totally includes Emma. Not but Michael. But not Michael, I've reproduced He was awful. Fuck Michael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even listen to this anymore anyway, so you could he safely say that. Anything, He's got an AI bot that edits this, and they. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hello, you lovely people. Your chat was perfectly timed as I was diagnosed on the 24th of September with ADHD, age 42. I listen to podcasts on my treadmill as it means I only have two TV screens on and I'm not distracted by shiny things. Shappy, she says, I cried happy tears listening to you and I'm now so excited for the rest of my life. I will download Bloody the book. Yes, but it's not pretty good now. I'm now excited for the rest of my life. From one podcast episode. Anyway, she says, thank you so much for the podcast. It was an amazing listen. And she says, Mark, let's carry on changing the world. So I know Sally a bit because she works in in travel and sustainability, which is, you know, as you can imagine, an interesting place to be. And she's rather brilliant at it. Um, so that was nice. And we had other people just saying, you know, it's been wonderful. So oh, hang on. Sorry, I've lost it now because I've got ADHD. You can't top. I'm excited for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um yeah, but there was a lovely, another lovely email from a guy called Jeff, and he said he, he found that the um, podcast really interesting. But he also was rather taken by the discussion we had about emotional dysregulation, where you kind of like, you know, lose your shizzle or get too sad or whatever. He says, I've been struggling with that, and this episode really made me feel the impact of this on my wife and kids, as especially as a stay-at-home dad for two boys aged four and one. And he says, I worry about the effect my lack of emotional regulation is having on them. How do I model this effectively for my kids when I can't manage it myself. And I did want to mm. respond to that because it's something that I had to learn to do. And there is really good news, Jeff, which is as soon as you know you're emotionally dysregulated, you can start to notice it. And as soon as you start to notice it, you can do something about it. And it's a bit like going to the gym every day. I say like when you first go to the gym, you're lifting these tiny weights and they feel really, really hard. Like you're just pulling back from an emotional situation a tiny bit. It's really hard you do that tiny thing. But then next time you're just lifting a slightly heavier weight. And the good news is once you know this stuff, you're basically going to that mental gym every single moment every day. So you get strong actually quite quickly. And I've you know, as soon as I became aware of my emotional dysregulation, my ability to regulate my emotions kind of went on exponential. It was quite hard in the first few weeks. I'm still not as good as it as my beloved is, but it gets better every day because you're aware of it and you take responsibility for doing it. The other thing I would say to anybody with any kind of ADHD or neurodiversity or anything really is go and find some chums who've got the same or some of the same uh, problems, opportunities and whatever. I found suddenly being brave enough to go to a few of the people I knew had ADHD and say, do you mind going for a pint or can we talk about this? Absolutely cathartic. So also when you find those difficult moments, go and find some uh, some people 
who might uh, have uh, similar experiences. A bit like, again, getting down to people, planet, pint, fight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah. I don't think we should tell Adam we've rebranded his movement. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be like, I went, I went to the bathing set the night. There. <laughs> it was a bloodbath. Unless it's like fighting the power. Yeah. yeah. In which case, yeah. you know, I'm all in. Yes. Um, I nearly poisoned myself the other night. Did you? Did I tell you about this? Like no. when we were doing, when we were doing Halloween. Um, uh, the 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 night of the night before Halloween, I I picked some um, squash from my allotment and cooked them up for dinner um, <laughs> in a sort of tray of roasted veggies, and then woke up in the night, like about one o'clock in the morning, with my stomach making very very strange movements and noises. Oh. Uh, and I, and then I sort of Googled it and then I discovered this thing called toxic squash syndrome, which is wow. one, of, one of the things you really don't want to Google, at like half one in the morning when you've just fed a house full of guests <laughs> with your Russian roulette pumpkins, um, <laughs> off your allotment. And it turns out, I think I'd put, uh, uh, the wrong type of squash in the meal. And luckily, everyone else was okay. But I say, I was, I was having my stomach turning cartwheels. Um, yeah. And there's, and there's no cure for toxic squash syndrome. There's one of those ones, you know, when you go down the NHS direct rabbit hole, going, okay, so you can only treat the symptoms. Some people die. Some people's <laughs> hair, some people's hair falls out because the toxins replicate the effect of chemotherapy. Oh, I've got some bad news for you there, mate. <laughs> Exactly, my hair fell out years ago. <laughs> but you know, I never knew squash could be so deadly. Is it, hang on, is this any squash can have this effect on a person, or is it a particular type of squash? No, it's well, the, what, the ones that we typically eat are the ones which have all been domesticated, you know, and selectively bred, so they don't have um, these toxins in them. But um, the ornamental gourds and the ones we don't eat, which usually taste very bitter, which is the indication uh, of the presence of these these toxins, um, you know, they still have them. And so it's like, as I say, when I discovered it, I was like, oh, my God, why did I not know about this? And I'll certainly be a bit more careful about what I eat off the allotment. John, have you ever captured yourself with a vegetable? Well, do you know, I did. Uh, I opened a bottle of cider. <laughs> That's you thought and thought about that. <laughs> Oh, I've, I've frequently uh, um, had – the problem is that there's a there's a looseness associated with a vegan diet, which you sort of get used to, to be honest. There's an urgency to the movements that um, I, I don't even think I'd know if I had toxic squash syndrome anymore. I just think that was another Wednesday, just a slightly sloppier Wednesday. Um, oh, I did have a bottle of cider this week that went through me like a fucking Porsche. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I'm just about yeah. to. I'm just about to bottle this year's cider. So, right, all right. Well, I'll you keep to it to yourself. I'll have you know my cider's been relatively well received. <laughs> I tell you what. Why don't you bring that? Why don't you bring that to People Planet Pint? People side, Planet but, Shite. <laughs> <laughs> at Northampton we'll all turn up you could bring your toxic squash and your cider <laughs> yeah. I'll be so popular people, yeah. people planet pint shite fight I'll see you there <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly Adam you're going to thank us for this 
This is how we build a movement. Get it? <laughs> oh, let's end on a big laugh because I tell you what, it's been fucking bleak at points um, today, hasn't it? And as a result of the bleakness in society, and I think let's end on a big laugh. Um, I tell you what, I would like to hear from uh, our listeners about, and, and and in general, we are lining up some guests for later episodes. So if there's a specific topic that you feel we've never ventured, I tell you what, I would like to hear from people in. Uh, families or relationships about how you balance when the uh, uh, we don't know how to word it sometimes <laughs> one of you is perhaps a little more driven in certain areas of proactivity and sustainability than the other one um, there's so many arguments pending about the recycling, what holidays you go on, how you travel, how you run the house. And I can't quite believe that every couple is entirely in sync. So I would like to hear from anybody who is the less proactive or the more proactive one, how you balance. Sometimes for the sake of the mood in the house, you have to sacrifice your wishes. And uh, I'll be very frank about it when we have this discussion, but I would like to hear uh, some anecdotes from couples about how you deal with your separate priorities. You know what, John, there was so, so much of a, a vibe of asking for a friend in that. Oh, I mean, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But uh, do you know what the, some of the, some of the, uh, some of that is uh, what I'm very keen not to say is, I'm uh, very good and my partner isn't. It, it, it's to do with Lucy's very hot on some things and I am keen on others. And um, that is sometimes a clash. So I sometimes think, well, because I rinsed that plastic pot out and put it in the bin, I don't want to have a conversation about that global thing that you want to talk about because I can't handle that right now. So um, she wants to talk about what is happening in the global news and I don't. I want to focus on... <laughs> uh, to quote Sean Locke, getting all the marmite out of the marmite jar before it goes in the recycling pot. Um, uh, I need to use your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Good relationship <laughs> advice in general there from it. I was talking about marmite yeah. jars, but don't worry. It can apply more yeah, generally sure. or liberally. <laughs> Absolutely. Outrageous. Terribly. <laughs> A bit of filth. We'll be back, won't we? Yes, we will. Um, I'm looking to see when. Oh, next week. There you go. It's almost like we fucking planned it. <laughs> Clever, isn't it? <laughs> uh, thank you for your company. If you want to... I mean, I worded that so badly, what I wanted. I just want to hear from couples who argue. Let, let's get it straight out there. I want to hear about couples who argue. <laughs> so uh, send those in, plus suggestions for topics, plus anything else you want to hear from us, and here's how. Our email address is hello at johnandthefuturenauts.com. What's our Twitter handle, Ed? At J and the F. And if you want to find like-minded people in the real world, why not type in People Planet Pint, our official partner for JNF listeners to get together in pubs, save the planet and drink beer. Thank you both. Gorgeous. Thanks. See you soon. And oh, and thank you, Emma. 
our wonderful producer, who I was the first to thank. (laughs) (laughs) This could get so sycophantic. I'll I'll do it next week. All right. Toodaloo. Bye. Toodles. Toodles.